But I would say for entrepreneurs, the number one way to practice self-care is to not change your schedule for anyone else. Like if you have your certain days and times that you do certain things, that's it. That's your schedule. Like do not change that for anyone else. Hmm. Are you starting your journey into real estate business or entrepreneurship? Are you in need of strategies to help you reach your daily goals? That's right. Then the Oliver Perry Show is for you. Come and get the experiences and strategies to help you be successful. And now, your host. You know who it is, is. Oliver Perry. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good day to you, whoever you are and wherever you are. I'm Oliver Perry. Welcome back to the Oliver Perry Show. Today we have another wonderful guest. She is a salon owner, an entrepreneur, a real estate investor, a real estate, uh, not a real estate coach, but a, a business coach <laughs> and a great business strategist. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me to welcome Miss Lalitha Arnold. Lalitha, hey, what's up, Ali. lady? How you feeling? Hey, good. How are you? Fantastic. I've got you on. So how could I be better? <laughs> so, so let's talk. Let's first of all, before we get started, I want to make sure I give you the floor so you can kind of give the listener and viewer a little bit of background on you and what you do and how great you are. So go for it. Okay. So, hey everyone. I am Lalita Arnold. I am a commission salon owner here in Chicago. Um I am also a business coach. Um I'm also certified. I'm also amazing. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that was messed up. You're going to do that right when Uh-oh. I'm taking a <laughs> taking Come on, Ali. Okay? You All already right. know how we get down. <laughs> <laughs> I see how this is going to be. Okay, it's going to be one of those yeah, areas. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Right. It's going to be fun. Cool. So let's let's jump right in. How did you get started in the salon business? Um, when I was younger, um, I lived in the hood. And so I worked around. I, wa- I didn't work, but I was around a lot of hustlers. Mm-hmm. And they were getting money. Like, I'm from Inglewood in Illinois. So in Chicago and they were getting so much money. I wanted a part of that. And my family was already getting a part of it. They were selling food. And instead of us having furniture in the house, we had a pool table and the guys had to pay $5 to get in and $5 per game. Wait, hold on, so, hold on. wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You ain't got no <laughs> furniture, but y'all got a pool table. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is happening? Okay. You know All how right. you know how back in the days, like our grandparents and stuff, they have like the white furniture in the house with the plastic mm-hmm. on there. You couldn't go mm-hmm. in that front room yeah. where we had a pool table. Okay, so it was five dollars okay. to get in, five dollars per game, and I wanted in. I wanted in on the money, so mm-hmm. I learned how to play pool, and I started beating them at pool, but it just wasn't enough money for me. So then I started seeing like their hair. They was like, go get their hair braided, and you get their nails done, and stuff like that. So at a young age, I prayed and asked God, how can I make more money? I remember it just like it was yesterday. Next thing I know, I woke up that next morning, tried to braid my cousin hair. The first day I couldn't get it. The second day I almost got it, but the third day I mastered it. Next thing you know, I just started braiding all the guys here in the hood. And then I started doing their nails. And then one of my friends went to the beauty salon and got her hair done. She had like a French roll, you know, the thing that looked like a tornado or something. Remember mm-hmm. those things? You probably don't remember those things. But I mean, anyway. my, my hair is super short, so. But remember know, when I, it was? Remember when it was long, though? <laughs> <laughs> 
And um, so I asked my friend if I can take her hair down. I took mm-hmm. her hair down. I put it back up the same day and I did not get it as good as it was when I asked to take it down. I dreamed about it that night. So the next day I asked her if I can take her hair down and if I can redo it. And she said yes. And her hair was perfect. And I've just been doing hair ever since. Wow. That's pretty dope. That's really, yeah. really dope. So it's safe so- to say like I'm working in my gift. Right. Hmm. So you did all that. And clearly you had the practice just by being in proxy and kind of doing it over and over and over again. At what point did you, at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to make this into a big thing. And then how did, how did you go about making it into a full on business from there? Um, I, I believe I decided to make it a big thing when I was able to buy my first pair of Jordans. Um, in Chicago, that's <laughs> gotta be huge. That's huge because my family wasn't wealthy, right? We were poor. So right. I was wearing pro wings and hand-me-downs and things of that nature. So when I first started making money, I wasn't just out spending it. I was like, how can I help my family? So once I realized I was starting to make enough money to help them and to buy something for myself, and I was able to buy that first pair of Jordans, and then I was able to buy the second pair. I bought the retros when they first came out. And I was able to buy that second pair. I think it was a black and white pair and then a red and black pair. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. I, I, you know, I tried to work summer jobs, but I just couldn't keep a summer job because I just wanted to do hair all day long. And once I graduated from um, high school, I used to work at a law firm because I wanted to be a lawyer. Went to school three times for that. That didn't work. And um, and I worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I was just like, forget it, because I just had missed doing hair. Right. So right. somewhere probably like about um, 79, maybe 2000 is when I was like, I'm going to go in it full time. Wow. So you you mentioned a second ago that you were in you were working as a lawyer at one point or working mm-hmm. to become a lawyer at one point. Yeah. What made you want to be a lawyer? You were coming out of Chicago in the hood, like you said. You were already doing were you already doing hair at this point, right? Yeah, I was already doing hair, but I I love um everything about law. Like I can I used to win a debate team like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um the spelling bee like I don't know. I just love everything about I, I don't like to argue, but I like everything about winning when it comes to arguing. Like I like, you know, getting my facts together. Right. I love figuring out a way to win. And so with me being raised in a house full of women. <laughs> <laughs> We I can see how that might put you on the, in the practice lane for that. No, I, I get that. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just, I love every, even now, like, um, I still think about it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I still think about going to school for law, but I'm so knee deep into being a, um, a boss. It's just like, I don't know if I want to go back to school for that mm-hmm. when I can just generate bags from what I'm already doing, bags. if that makes sense. I like it. I like it. So, all right, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What makes what makes you dangerous as a boss? Uh, what makes me dangerous as a boss is that I came from the hood. So I'm used to having nothing. So I'll fight to the end. And if I lose it, I know exactly how to get it back. Like, I'm really good in every single area of business. Do I know it all? No. But when you raised in the hood with, like, with thugs and 
And like that's they were running a business. Like they had people on corners. You had to be here at a certain time. You had to go at a certain time. You know, my my hope the building that I lived in, my family, they were all entrepreneurs. You know, like where I was at, we you know you can you know um, pay five dollars to get in, five dollars per game for pool. Door opened up at a certain time. The door closed at a certain time. <laughs> my grandmother was downstairs. She sold food. My cousin, my auntie, she was across the hall. She sold French fries and loose squares. Like, <laughs> you know, that's that's all I know. And so with me uh, wanting to become an, a lawyer, that's what made me kick it up more and and wanted to be more professional. Right. So yeah, that's what I think. That's what makes me um, a beast. Is you know me willing to lose it all. Like right. no, it's just so not an option for me. It has to be another way. So then what what make what actually makes a boss then? What makes somebody a boss? Because everybody, of course, doesn't grow in a pillar. I grew up in the suburban area. You know, I'm a little bit preppy. It is what it is. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge me. Um, so, so not judge <laughs> So you're a boss now in your mm-hmm. view and you're a business coach as well. So you have a better understanding of this than most people. What makes someone an actual boss? What makes a boss? To me, what makes me a boss is that I only have to answer to the IRS and the police. I don't owe okay. anyone else any type of explanation. Like I don't have to answer to anyone else. I don't mm-hmm. have to answer to my mom anymore. You know, I don't have to answer to my children. I can have discussions with them about certain things, but I don't have to answer to them. Um, God forbid I don't, you know, God forbid I won't ever need anyone to um, take care of me financially and physically, but I don't need anyone to do that for me neither. So to me, a boss is someone who can stand on their own and someone who knows how to get the job done and know how to create jobs for others and, um, you know, and, and someone who just knows how to to get to that next level, someone who doesn't stop dreaming of, you know, how to how to do better and how to help others get better. So being a boss to me, it just it just goes on and on and on. But the main thing is me only having to answer to the police and the IRS. Anybody <laughs> else like I'm a boss. Like Okay. That I mean that makes sense. That's a that's an interesting yeah. it's definitely a different way to think about it. But yeah. it, that does make sense. You having to only answer to you and really only you and of course in some capacity the customer more than anything anybody else at some point. I don't think it's so much when I think about customers and Mm -hmm. when I think about people who work for me, I don't see it as me having to answer to them as much as me having to communicate with them or um, or um, um, educate them on something Mm -hmm. like I don't I don't see myself answering to them. So if that that makes sense, it, it does kind of. So it's more you working to get them to what they want. Want, not necessarily to do what they want. If that makes no, sense. No, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm confusing myself. So, all right. So no, it's, <laughs> let's, it's let's exactly it what you said. It's it's me working to get them what they want, but mm. I'm not doing what they want me to do. You see what mm. I'm saying? Like when a, when a client comes in and I, and I practice this in my salon, in most shops, you do get a client what they want. The client controls that space. In my space, they don't control our space. We work 
work at getting them what they want. So someone may come in and say, I want color. If your hair is not strong enough or healthy enough for color, we're not doing it. Mm. So I don't work just for the dollar. So then do you educate them on how they can, how their hair can get stronger for color? Exactly. So that's why I say I don't answer to clients. I mm, educate okay. clients. Okay. We so educate more- clients. I educate my team. I don't put myself in a in a position to where I have to answer to my team. I mm-hmm. Everything is written out on what it is that I owe them as the owner and everything is written out as what they owe me as as employees. Okay. So therefore, okay. I don't need to answer to them because everything is written out on what I'm going to do for them. Right. Okay. So let's let's do a little bit of social proof here too because I want people to really understand the uh, the angle that La is actually talking speaking from. Let's talk mm-hmm. about your you recently had a was, was it a grant or a competition you were a part of correct? Uh, what type of competition? It was the um, the competition where they actually provided you grant. It was a big bank. I, oh I yeah. With, um, Goldman and Sachs. Yes. Let's talk about that Goldman and Sachs experience. Let's let's talk about what what that was, what happened, and then what's kind of resulted in for you. So with Goldman and Sachs, they helped 10,000 small businesses scale to a million bucks. And so they interviewed tons of um, businesses. A lot of business put in applications. A lot of people didn't make it simply because a lot of people don't have their paperwork together. And I pride myself on making sure everything is together. I'm a high S, I'm a high C, so there needs to be order. And so, and so I have everything, I had everything together and people like me, they call us back and they give us an interview. So they interviewed me about my business and within the first 10 to 15 minutes, they were like, you're in, we're picking you. We would love for you to be a part of our program. So the program hasn't started yet. It starts in April. So that's what, um, that's what Goldman and Sachs is about. That's not, that's not bad at all. That's yes. awesome. So, so yeah. we, it's, so that happens, and that happened mm-hmm. not too long ago, right? And yeah. even dur- now, during this time, were you doing? Because now you're doing an expansion to your salon, correct? Correct. So I just finished expanding my salon during COVID. Um, <sighs> wait a second. I, wait a second. Wait a second. Let's 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 take let's take let's take a break for the cause here, <laughs> and let's recognize that you did this for coat. You did this during COVID, which people are struggling to just keep people around. So you deserve. A round of applause right now for that because Thank let me turn that up a little bit. Let's get, do it one more time. One more time, no. round of applause here. Yeah, much better. There it yeah. is. There it is. So, <laughs> so you you did this during COVID, which is in this time. There's not a lot of businesses that, that were able to pull that kind of thing off, or even to survive out of this COVID, this whole COVID experience. Yeah. How did you How did you do that? I I feel the way that I did it, and I feel what other businesses did to survive COVID was they had the right people in place to make sure that their numbers were together, to make sure that the back end of the business was together. Of course, we're never looking for something like COVID to happen, but the ultimate goal is to be prepared for if something like COVID happens, like whether it's us passing or, you know, whether the government comes in and they shut it down, you want to make sure that you're in a position to still be able to take care of others and your business. So when COVID happens, happened um, me and my team we were okay um they were happy they were happy with a break um no one wasn't hurting or anything 
because we talk about this type of stuff. We talk about numbers. We talk about having our priorities together. Um, I, I educate my team as much as they allow me to educate them. And so when COVID happened, my overhead was already low. Like I'm always going over my P&L statement. My CPA is always going over my um, P&L statement just to see what is it that we can, what numbers we can bring down. So when COVID hit, I was I was okay. I had money saved. I had my overhead down. You know, I don't purchase anything that I can't spell or pronounce. So not only was my personal, not only was my business overhead down, but even my personal um, overhead is down. The only thing that I, you know, tend to spend a little bit too much money on is, you know, is food. But I mean, it is what it is. Like, that's my thing. But other than that, um, I don't know. I, I, I keep my priorities um, in order. So when COVID hit and I had the chance to expand, because like you said, one of the businesses closed. So I was able to knock the walls down to expand out. And so I went from 1,100 square feet to 2,000 square feet. And um, I don't know, I didn't feel it at all. A lot of people were saying, you know, hey, a lot did you use the EIDL money or um, PPP money, which is um, funds that the government gave to businesses. But you can't use any of those funds to do a build out. Those funds are only for um, payroll. So you have to, at the end of the um, period, you have to send the government paperwork stating or showing that you spent the funds that were given to you for payroll and for payroll only. So when I expanded, it was, um, you know, it's just simply me just doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a as a business owner. And that is um, making sure that I am being responsible when it comes down to the money that's coming in through the business. Right. Let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to you mentioned the P&L statement and you mentioned the overhead. And I want everybody to have context so they understand any of the language that comes across during this podcast and during this this, yeah. watching this, this particular episode. Can you break down the overhead and then the P&L statement and how those work? So a P&L statement is a profit and loss statement. And it basically tells you how much or it's, it puts everything that you spend or everything in your business that you spend money on, it puts it into categories. And so that's what a P&L segment is. It lets me know how much I'm spending on utilities, how much I'm spending on back bar, which is products for my business, um, how much I'm spending on gas, which is for my business. Um, I think I said utilities, the phone bills, things like that. And so it lets me know. And then with me having the type of business that I have, which is a commission-based salon, commission-based meaning that everybody in my salon works for me and I get a percentage of everything that comes um, into my salon. But I also provide everything that's in my salon too, all of the products and everything that's needed for the stylist to um, style the clients. Um, that's considered um, back bar. So the P&L statement shows me exactly how much I'm spending in my business in categories. Right. What was the second question you asked me? P&L statement and the overhead to explain the overhead. Um, overhead is things of that nature, like things that I spend within my business, the overhead, like whatever is needed to help the business run, tissue, um, office okay. supplies, um, uh, products, furniture, um, retail. Retail is products that we sell to the clients, um, keeping the towels clean, um, I was taking um, our towels next door to this 
cleaners and I probably was paying them like five, six hundred dollars a month to keep our towels clean and keep our smocks clean. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was doing the build out, one of my, my office, it has like a slant to it. And I asked the lady next to the cleaners if I can just get like a corner of her space, a, a part of the space that she's a part of the wall that she's not even using. And she told me no. I mean, it was just like a really small space just so I can make my room square instead of it being slanted. And she said no. So what I did was I found this space in my salon during the build out to put a washing machine and dryer. So now I'm saving at least $450, $500 a month um, from me not taking my towels to the cleaners anymore. Because since right. she didn't give me the space, I just put a washing machine and dryer in my salon. And now she don't get to wash my towels and stuff anymore. So, so if she hadn't done that, would you still put that? Because it seems like a, a smart business decision regardless whether she was yeah. in or not. Yeah. Would you still done it? You were still done it either way. I still would have taken them over there because the space that I put the washing machine and dryer at, it could have mm. been something else. Mm, okay. So okay. I made a room smaller so that I can make another room bigger so that I can put the washing machine and dryer there. I wasn't okay. even thinking about it at that time until she irritated me. And then I was like, okay, how can I get her? How can I cut her out? Right. Not, get, not so much as get her back, but how mm. can I cut her out? Clearly, she's not looking out for me. So how can I take her out of the equation? Because I don't want to be looking out for her either. And mm. then that's how I came up with the washing machine and dryer. I think the theory, well, I've heard, I've heard someone say, I want you to eat too. I just don't want yeah. you to eat at my table, I think is what was said. Um, yeah. And that was, that was a while back. And I can't remember what the context of that was, but that's what was said. So let's talk a little bit about you, because you mentioned a vice. And I think it's really important, particularly for entrepreneurs and anybody looking to get in business, real estate, whatever you are, whatever you're going after, everybody has a vice. My vice used to be sneakers. Um, recently, not too long ago, it was soccer jerseys. Now it's, I don't know what it is now. I don't really have a vice at this point anymore, to be honest. For you, your vice is food. You and I have talked and about traveling. this. traveling. Food, yeah, food and traveling. So yeah. we've talked about this numerous times. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to know, how do you, how do you contain that vice? Because you seem to have a really good handle on what comes and what goes because you're always aware of your numbers and things of that nature, both in business and in your personal life. So how do you control your vices? Um, you mean financially, how do I control it? Or how do I know like, okay, enough is enough. I need mm -hmm. to take a step back and, you know, not spend as much. You mean I'd in say, that way? I'd say both because I feel like one feeds the other. So mm -hmm. when you've got a vice, if you're paying attention to your numbers, I know, okay, I can't go out and get this pair of J's because I can't afford it. If I do mm -hmm. it, I'm not going to be able to pay for the camera. I'm not going to be able to pay for my, subs you know, my subscriptions, things of that nature yeah. that allows me to do the podcast. So with you, I imagine it's the same thing. You look mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I can't order Uber today because if I do, I'm not going to be able to buy this retail item next week. Because of course, you know, you don't cross pollinate by any means with personal money and uh, business money, business but money, just yeah. in, in theory, just the thought process behind it. I want to know how you, how you control those vices. So the, the way that I control it is that I already give myself $75 a week to go grocery shopping okay. and I give myself $100 a week for pocket money. So that's $175 to me. Because I take the $75 from grocery and I put mm -hmm. it with my pocket money because I like to eat out. So <laughs> right. okay. that gives me $175 a week to spend okay. on whatever it is that I want to spend money on. And majority of the time is um, since October. So I just went and purchased a new truck last week mm -hmm. and because this is going to air later. So I just went and purchased a new truck in, Jan in um, March. So before then, part of my $175 was also being spent on Uber because 
I love, I just love, uh, I just love things that just makes my life easier. Someone right. picking me up and dropping me off is amazing. Someone cooking my food and bringing it to me is amazing. Cause that okay. just gives me time to work on more important things like my business or right. work on myself if that's what I choose to do at that moment. So that's, I keep up with it because I have $175 to spend on, on food whenever it is that I want to spend it on. And sometimes I go over, right? Like if I go out to dinner or something, you know, sometimes I go over, but it's okay because I don't do it as often. So right. I'll, I'll get on myself a little bit, but then I'll put the money back. I create something, some type of stream of income that'll help put that money back real quick. So you said you worked on, you work on self. How do you, how do you work on yourself? How do you work on, or in any entrepreneur for that matter, how would one work on self? The, the, the best way, my favorite way of working on myself is being still and being quiet. What do you mean? I'm constantly going. I'm constantly going. I have 13 people working in my business. I have my daughter working for me. So that makes 14. Um, my son is in the Marines. So I'm just always like calling, 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 checking on everyone, making sure everybody is okay. I'm forever on my phone. I'm forever talking. I have my other consultant business. So I'm always consulting and talking to people. I'm in the salon. I have to talk to the clients, make sure they're okay. Sometimes I just like to be quiet. Right. I just like to be still. To me, that is self-care. Just knowing when to just like be still. Some people, you know, they feel the need to, you know, travel or, you know, they feel the need to go get a massage. That's not it for me. Um, sometimes I will sit in my car. I can't do this no more because Chicago is just bad. But before Chicago got as bad as it is, I would sit in my car sometimes for like maybe like about two hours, two hours hours but I was so okay with that because it was just me in the car like Mm -hmm. no one else can come in like I don't have to answer my phone I can just do me I don't have to tend to my cat or anything like I can just be be still and be quiet and I know that that sounds crazy somebody sitting in a car for two hours but to me that was everything that was everything so that's that's self-care to me another thing is staying staying on um um stand on schedule for things that I have planned for myself. That's self-care. If I know on Mondays I'm going to get my nails done every Monday at 11 a.m., nothing changes that. Nothing. No one can call me and say, hey, La, can you go and do this? No. At 11 a.m., I am going to get my nails done. That is my schedule. That is it. When I am ready to go to bed, I go to bed. Nothing can keep me up. There's no late night conversation conversations, um, whatever we talking about at 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, we can talk about it tomorrow. Like I, I value my two, three, four hours of sleep that I get, <laughs> you know, almost every single morning I take a bath and it's just because I just want my body to know it's okay. Like I'm about to put you through the ringer today. So I'm gonna go ahead and <laughs> let you, let you relax right now. But when I get up out of this water, like you better to be ready <laughs> so like um i do that all the time um and i and i try my best to make sure that i'm looking pretty like i don't need to be glammed up makeup every single day but i do do my best to make sure that at least six 
days out of the week that I'm looking good because if you look good, you feel good. And not only because I'm a salon owner, I just know that it's just human nature. Like if you if you clean and you and you you know you look good, like mm-hmm. whatever whatever look good to you is. Because I don't spend tons of money on clothes. I don't, I don't have to. I just don't do it. But I do make sure that I my clothes are clean and that they aren't. So that's to me all those things are self care. But I would say for entrepreneurs, the number one way to practice self care is to not change your schedule for anyone else. Like if you have your certain days and times that you do certain things, that's it. That's your schedule. Like do not change that for anyone else. Hmm. I like that. I like that. You there's something that um you and I have talked about before, and we've had conversations. You've always given me advice. You always been a great friend to me, of course, and mm-hmm. you've always told me about this mental cation that you do mm-hmm. and i think it's really really valuable for the, the for the viewer and listener to hear and and see you talk about that particular subject can you tell me about your theory or thought process behind the mental cation so a mental cation before covid i would go on a mental cation and don't worry about trying to purchase the domain because i already purchased it to <laughs> the viewers. not you not you to the viewers <laughs> to the people who like to run and buy domains i already right. got it so anything okay. that i'm talking about viewers i have it so don't worry about it <laughs> and so um i like to go on these mental occasions um and what and what it consists of is well before covid i will go on a mental occasion every quarter mm-hmm. so i will go somewhere really nice that i haven't been and i will fly there i will stay there for four days but what i would do is i would either stay at the marriott or i would stay at the double tree because i just love their beds and plus who doesn't like double tree cookies right so i'll stay there i'll get me two queen size beds i will take all of my paperwork that i need to do with me anything that i need to do to prep for the next quarter i will take all of that stuff with me right i will put it in the second bed so i pull out all my paperwork my laptop everything i will pull it all out and i will put it in the second bed but i will take the blanket and i will cover it up and the reason i'm covering it up is because it's not time for that like i'm not ready for any of that i know i brought it with me but i don't want to wake up and see it like I'm on a mentalcation but I know that this stuff needs to be done so I covered a blanket up with it and then I pour the dark curtains I mm-hmm. order room service and I go to sleep sometimes I be sleep for one day sometimes I'll sleep for two days I'll order room service eat slide that tray back out the door like color purple slide <laughs> it on back up out of there <laughs> <laughs> and I will go back to sleep. Like I am on a mentalcation. I don't mm-hmm. have to answer to anyone. Like the business is okay. And I I mean, I sleep. I sleep so good. I sleep so good. And when I am well rested, then that's when I start dealing with all of the paperwork or anything that I need to prepare for for the next quarter. But I don't do any of it until I am well rested. So that's what a mentalcation is to me. Now, you know, now that we still, you know, dealing with COVID and things are still just like a little slow. Um, I, I leave when I feel like leaving. Like I don't I don't wait until the third quarter to leave um, when I'm feeling too stressed out and I need a change of scenery. I just go because I have to make sure that my mental state is together for me to be able to deal with all of these ladies. 
like we have like well over 200, 300 clients. Um, we have wow. an email listing of 2000 clients. So we have tons of clients, 13 chairs within my salon. And I also have 13 team, um, 13 employees. So sometimes that can all be too much. And right. I, I will, I will leave. I will, I will just book a vacation and I would just go. But far as the mentalcation, I think that that is a must for everyone. Hmm. The mentalcation is, it, I've always found that your mentalcation, the thought process behind mentalcation intriguing, not just because it's, it's the moment that you get away, but that it's that reset, that re, yeah. that battery recharge that yeah. really makes it or break it to me. Because even, you know, you could relax at home, but to get away and really just, okay, everything stops. Nothing's happening. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm just, for you, spending time with self, for whoever could be just running around with their kids, that kind of thing. It gives you the moment to recharge and really rebreathe and, and re, refocus yourself. And I think that's really important. I but think curious. about it though, Ali. So if you if if you you really can't rest at home, right? Because if if you at home resting in the bathroom is dirty, or the dishes is dirty, or you need to wash or something, you're really not resting. You really mm-hmm. sit there like, man, I really should get up and wash the dishes. I'm hungry. I can really get up and cook myself. It's groceries in the fridge. But when right. you leave and go on a mentalcation. Like all of that stuff is out the window. You get to actually relax. You don't have yeah. to get up and clean anything because they'll come and clean up behind you. Right. And you're not necessarily going out of country. You're staying in country when you do this normally, right? Correct. So will you ever do one out of country? If I go out of the country, it will be for more than four days. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, it won't be a mentalcation. It'll be a full on vacation. Full on vacation. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, cool. Now let's get into your, I love the fact that you're a business coach as well, yeah. because, and just, this is just my experience with you and just in general, is you're very precise on your thought process. And I, I believe that's partly because of, you know, of course, by you doing what you're doing now as a salon or uh, as a salon owner, but as well, like you said, those moments that you sit back and you pull back and you pull everything back. I imagine you discover more in that sense. What, what makes you comfortable with not just doing your own own business but now you're teaching others how to create a business because that's a that's a different beast how are you how have you figured that part out and how are you really putting that into motion when it comes to you know those who, who are willing to, to talk to you as far as a business coach the only the only reason I decided to start being a business coach is because what I'm doing is working mm, okay I just decided to start doing this last year and I'm really starting to push it this year because I did something that not too many people have done and that was survive COVID. So to me, that makes me believe that I'm in a position to educate other people. That's the only reason that I think that someone like myself or any business coach should be coaching anyone. We we can't teach someone something that we haven't lived or that we haven't um, mastered. That's just my opinion. Like just because you purchased socks and you sold 20 pair, that doesn't mean that you could teach someone else how to sell socks. You only sold 20 pair. And how long has it taken you to sell those 20 pair of socks? So yeah, that's that's what makes me think that I'm qualified to to be a, a business coach. And Getting that bat and Goldman Sachs and like you said, surviving COVID, going from what, thirteen hundred to two thousand square feet. So yeah. Beating out the laundry lady. You, yeah. <laughs> it's all, yeah. It's all yeah. 
it's all good. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's exactly what I think people need to kind of understand is that it's it's when talking to people, you should actually understand their background, what they're really good at, what they've done. Because we've got a lot. And let's be honest, Clubhouse, Twitter, IG, Facebook, YouTube. Mm-hmm. You have a mm-hmm. lot of quote unquote gurus out there who are. I don't I don't think teaching's bad necessarily. I think teaching above your weight class is. So yeah. if I'm a lightweight, you know, if I just started, that puts me in a lightweight category. I yeah. can teach somebody who's going from zero to lightweight, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah. not from lightweight to heavyweight to, you know, world champ. That's not, no. that's not happening. It just makes sense. And no, I, I think, sense. so I think everyone can, can teach, right? But like you said, mm-hmm. if you're a lightweight, but it's still, you still have to be able to, to, I don't know what my conscience would, would buy, it would bother me if I was, if I just went out and purchased this new truck and then all of a sudden I go teach people how to buy trucks. Like I just bought, this just only my second truck. Right. Like I'm, I'm not, I haven't learned enough myself to teach somebody how to buy uh you know a truck like i yeah i I can go on and on about that like no we we got time we got time let's because i I, i'm really i'm happy that you came on because your experience as a woman is going to be distinctly different than others and as a woman who survived covid as a woman who's of course like we said work with goldman sachs you know you've dealt with this competition you've grown up in a little bit rougher part of town shall we say your perspective is different than others just like you know some of the other guests jamie gruber and and diego corzo and joe belady and clay allen all these people theirs are their their perspectives are different and i think yeah. it's really interesting yours is different as well because the way you see the world is different than the way i necessarily see the world yeah, correct and i think it's important that people understand that and see that so yeah. with that said what's your what's your thought process now that you're deeper into the hair industry and you're deeper into doing salon in the salon and things of that nature what's your perspective on the industry as it stands right now and how people can get in and, and really get to work I, I think the industry can do better okay let's hear it i think the industry is losing focus okay. on how the industry is supposed to be ran the industry is so money driven now mm-hmm. like customer service experience is falling by the wayside um a lot of the salon barbershops and um new stylists they don't have the slightest idea how to even file a taxes like none of this stuff is really offered to the beauty industry. You can go and take business classes, business Mm -hmm. classes, but you can go get a license and not know any of this. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I personally just feel like when they, when they require us to renew our license, because you got to have a certain amount of hours, I think it should be certain things that you should know. Like, don't go keep taking a class on Silcrest. Like, don't go keep taking a class on cutting. Mm -hmm. Like, did you learn anything else? But the industry has to offer those things too. Right. So I just think that the industry with all of the money that's in the industry, I think that they should really focus on how to educate the people. And they don't if they don't want to, they don't have to because I'm I'm doing it. So I think that they should really focus on educating people in the beauty industry on how to take care of business and not just how to get money. The, the industry is a real, everyone has a hustle um, mentality. And at that point, they chasing money. And me and you both know what happens right. when you're just chasing 
chasing money. So of course it's a it's a billion dollar industry, right? It's everyone is doing it, everyone is teaching it. Great. That is amazing. But ask the industry how did they do when COVID hit, when people didn't have P and L statements, when people right. didn't even have an accountant, when people didn't even know what a P and L statement was, you know. I, mean, I think that those are the things that the industry should be focusing on. That's um that's interesting. Because I, I, I've always thought that particularly with the salon industry, with barbershops, that the biggest thing, and this is, again, outside looking in, I'm a father of two girls and I've got a wife and my mom and my sisters. For the most part, it's all females in my family outside of myself and my father. So experiencing that from the outside looking in, I see, you know, I, my mom would go to the salon. My sisters would go to the salon. Hair come back pressed. and Or when my sisters decide to go natural, their hair is all flamboyant and, and not flamboyant, good grief, uh, just more big and curly and, and just natural how their hair is, right? Yeah. I, what I would always hear is they talk about how much they enjoyed that trip. And I feel like it's it's kind of sad that it's not the same way anymore. I go to the barbershop. My barbershop still, I feel like, has really good customer service. But even then, and I haven't been there this week, don't judge me. So no, you, you know, look good. <laughs> So even then, you know, those people are, like you said, it's not like the, it's not like the mom and pop shop like it used to be. Like it used yeah. to be you go in and people are just in the barbershop. They used to be at least just in the barbershop to hang out. And I imagine yeah. the same thing with the salon. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that that is kind of lost its way, which is kind of, it's kind of disappointing and sad. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I guess it's part of the evolution that we'll figure it out at some point. So well, I figured it out within, within my business. So what do you do within your business? What makes you different? What makes your experience at and Envy Me different than others? Um, first of all, customer service and experience is at the forefront. Respect is number one. I don't, we don't care how old the client is or how young the client is. We respect all of our clients and we get that respect back. Um, the experience is, you know, uh, the, what I stand behind is you get what you pay for. Right. So our prices are pretty high. So we can't be talking crazy to our clients and, you know, not educating them and not, you know, um, um, being supportive of, of what it is that they're doing. Like on, on my Envy Me team page, we support our clients. We don't just talk about hair. We talk about the everyday woman and what they have going on. And we put them in the stories and we shout them out and tell them happy birthday and stuff like that, because we don't see them as, you know, just being a dollar. Another thing too, is that I furnished my salon with all home furniture. So okay. my salon is all overstock and home goods and Hobby Lobby. And the reason I did that was because when the women come in, I want them to feel like they at home. You know, like even if their home isn't as quiet and as clean as the salon is, I still want them to feel like that that is a home that they can go to and get that treatment. Like we're there to service them. So they get a break from the norm. Like it's not, we're not asking things of them. They get to come in and ask things of us. You know, they get to, you know, you know, we ask them if they want coffee, water, tea. We serve them wine sometimes. Sometimes we serve them something a little stronger. It just depends on what's going on with them. <laughs> and, um... You know, we, 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 we make sure that we're not wetting their clothes. You know, right. we, we, when we lay them back in a bowl, like we help them, we lay them back with our hands. Like we guiding them back to the bowl. Like they trust us. Like, right. yeah, that's, that's what I do um, in my space. I, I, I make it a, a space to where not only do the clients feel good, but I go out my way to make sure that my stylists are happy. 
And then mm-hmm. I'm paying attention to their wants and that and their needs and that I'm also educating them. Like I introduced my whole team to Clubhouse and their their minds are like expanding like crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I taught them how to work Clubhouse. Like you don't sit in Clubhouse for hours. If you need to learn something, you search that room, you go in there, you learn it and you come out of there and you implement what it is that you've learned. And then you go back in and you learn something else. Mm-hmm. So it's just like things like that. The morning meetup, you know, I talk about you a lot, Ali, um, the chair that you're sitting in. I let them know, like, hey, this is where I got my chair from. You know, I'm <laughs> always educating my team. As much as I learn, I go back and I teach my team. I don't see um, competition right. and I make sure that my team don't see competition either. Mm-hmm. That's listen. We I want to keep going, but I I've got to be respectful of my guest time, and I'm a little annoyed because I gotta I know I gotta let Lot go. So we're probably. But you can do, always invite me uh, back, Ali. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna ask. I want to make sure you're okay mm-hmm. with the number two. So we're gonna do a yeah, part yeah. two. But for now, let's get into the segments. And in the segments, I'm gonna break each question down, and then I'm gonna allow you to, to do your thing, and you'll go from there. So first question okay. is something we call, or not even question, but segment is what we call troop to task. Okay. And what this is is a military term, and normally in the military we tell somebody, all right, you are gonna go do this and that's their troop to task in this particular situation for you the troop to task is one moment one thing that you give the audience one thing that they can do right now to push their self forward in whatever path they're choosing to go on the one thing that they can do as entrepreneurs to push themselves on the path is to go read the e-myth the e-myth okay let's yeah. explain 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 don't spoil the e-myth but explain a little bit why that's why's your thought process because the e-myth it changes it changes the entrepreneur mindset a mm-hmm. lot of technical people go and start businesses and they don't know anything about business and the business starts running them. You know, they get burnt out really fast. So the e-myth, it it changes your mindset. It it teaches you how to go from the technical person to the boss. Or if you want to stay the technical person, Mm -hmm. it puts you in the mindset of how to hire people that can help you with the business if you want to still work in the business if that makes sense I mean, that does make sense i don't want to yeah. work in my business but i will uh <laughs> i'll definitely be yeah. worrying the e-myth at some point that's yeah awesome. that's a great that's a great suggestion so next thing and you've already answered normally our second one which is situational awareness so we're going to skip that one today we're going to go straight to the more tougher question that we ask and that's what question do you wish you were asked more often i wish i was asked about how how was it being an entrepreneur and being a mom like Mm. a lot of people I feel like are struggling at home Mm -hmm. they may be doing amazing in their business or they might be struggling in both of them a lot of people always saying you know you have to create a balance where two things can't share the same space so I wish that I would have known to be more present with my children instead of being so focused on my business I allowed the money to take care of my children you know I made money for someone to babysit them so I can be in the salon you know I made the money for someone to pick them up and take them somewhere so that I can be in a salon you know I focused on making more money to take them shopping to make up for the time that I wasn't with them because I was in the salon if I can go back and do it all 
over again. It will be business hours and it will be family time. But in the um, in a, in the beauty industry, mm-hmm. or just as a as a owner or a boss of anything, what I'm hearing and what I'm learning from people is that they don't have shutdown hours. They don't have mm-hmm. family hours. They don't right. have hours for themselves. They trying to figure out when to stop and go to the restroom. You know. So I wish that people would ask me if I had if I was able to do it again Mm -hmm. what would I do differently when it comes to raising my children and and being a mom at one point I was a single mom and then at one point I was married and I lost all of that because I was still in the in the salon I just I just did not know how to um prioritize myself yeah my my schedule yeah everything that the salon you know it, it it controlled my schedule that's an yeah. excellent answer that is an excellent answer and again i've got to let that go i gotta let la go so la please tell the audience how they can reach out to you and where they can get a hold of you at. okay so hey you guys you guys can find me on instagram i have two pages one for my salon is envy me team the other page is for myself she is lalita and on that page you can take a disc assessment or if you need some business consultant um you guys can look at my uh, flow page and you can click the link or you guys can go to my website envy me hair studio on all of the um social media you can either find me under she is lalita or you can find me under envy me team fantastic all right ladies and gentlemen we're gonna go ahead and close out listen just remember just remember you're better than you were but you're not half as good as you're gonna be so in the meantime i'll see you soon i look forward to seeing you on the next show enjoy the day Thank you for listening to The Oliver Perry Show. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, be sure to follow Oliver at The Oliver Perry on Instagram, Oliver Perry on LinkedIn, and The Oliver Perry Show on YouTube. Until next time, take care.